Welcome to the What in the World is God Doing podcast. Conversations with Highland Park Missions partners in Casper, Wyoming, and around the world. In the midst of global crises and a daily onslaught of discouraging news, this podcast will encourage you about the good work God is doing around the world and inspire you to join in God's mission in our everyday lives. Highland Park Community Church exists to take risks to pursue God and love like Jesus, and our mission partners are courageously living that out at home and abroad. I'm Darren Adwell Palker, the GO Pastor at Highland Park, and joining me today by Zoom from Lebanon is Camille Malki. Camille is the CEO and co-founder of Heart for Lebanon. Born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon, he did both his undergrad and graduate studies at Anderson University in Indiana. He's married to Hoda and has two beautiful girls, May Lee, who just got married and is doing her Juris Doctorate in Virginia Beach. And his other daughter, Amy, is working for the World Bank and lives in Washington, D.C. So, Camille, thanks so much for joining us from Lebanon today. It is a joy to have you. Thank you, Darren. It's great to be with you and with your listener. It's a great opportunity to uh, just explore together, as you just said, and see what God is doing in particular this time right here in Lebanon. Yeah, you know, we have something in common right now, which we usually don't. We're in Casper, Wyoming, where I'm recording. We're about five degrees today, and it's snowing. But tell us about the snowstorm you guys just had in Lebanon. Oh, my goodness. We've had the uh, one of the worst snowstorms in our history. Uh, they say the worst. Uh, we haven't seen anything like that since the 1970s, so some uh, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, you've been here in Zahle. I'm in Zahle uh, in the Bekaa Valley, and we have uh, three feet of snow. Wow. Now you climb up the mountains, as you know, uh, and then you're talking about 10 and 12 feet of snow. And I'm just thinking they don't have the snow plows and machines and people just aren't equipped for that in normal life. So this has probably caused everything to just stand still right now. Everything for four days was just basically snowed in. Man, oh man. Well, we're connected by snow right now, and God bless you guys as you're working through that. But Camille, would you tell us about how Heart for Lebanon got started? I was just there in October of 2021. What a beautiful, amazing, powerful, moving experience that was to see the impact of the ministry that began and to think, in just 15 years, what God has done. But can you just kind of walk us through this story about how Heart for Lebanon got started? Sure. Heart for Lebanon started 15 years ago, uh, back in July 2006. And the simplest way to describe the beginning or the birth of Heart for Lebanon, I would say it came out from a particular acute need, but also it came from a personal uh, spiritual experience that my wife Hoda and I have had that summer. Uh, we happened to be with our two girls and 13 other teenagers in the United States, in fact, uh, leading a group of our teenagers from various Church of God congregations here in Lebanon to attend the uh, International Youth Convention in Anaheim, California, where the war and interestingly enough, I was actually there in 2006. We didn't know each other then, but I was no, there. No, we yeah. did not. No, we did not. And, you know, the war started between Hezbollah and Israel. Uh, the first day of that uh, event, that youth convention in Anaheim, California. Before you know it, uh, I became a 
a segregate uh, father and my wife a segregate mother <laughs> for 13 other teenagers. <laughs> we were s stuck in the United States for three months, a, a trip that was supposed to be uh, a three-week trip and now being a three-month, three-and-a-half-month um, this war in 2006 saw uh, the majority of the country of Lebanon completely uh, destroyed. It started because Hezbollah abducted four Israeli soldiers off our borders between Israel and uh, Lebanon. And the retaliation that uh, Israel had in order to claim back its soldiers and, uh, caused this massive destruction. Mm. 800,000 individuals were forced out of their homes. Wow. That's one-fourth of our population. 200,000 people left the country of Lebanon, chose never to return. 11,000 injured, uh, 1,200 people killed. This is just few numbers that we're throwing uh, at you uh, here and there. But what's worse in that battle is uh, what uh, the hope that Lebanon had was shattered mm. immediately. This war came right after the withdrawal of the Syrian army from Lebanon. Syria has occupied our nation for 30 uh, years, and it withdrew it finally in 2005. So we started seeing uh, a little bit of uh, improvement in our economy, return of tourism, investments from uh, foreign companies and foreign countries in our uh, in our uh, economy and hope was on the rise and this war just shattered the whole uh, message of hope that the country was trying to disperse among its people and especially among those who are living in diaspora. Worse than that, it left the Church of Lebanon helpless, mm. small uh, uh, and equipped to, to respond to this overwhelming crisis. The church in Lebanon felt helpless. So hopelessness among the people, helplessness among uh, the church community and Heart for Lebanon came, as I said, as this natural response to this overwhelming need. But also it came as a response to a spiritual experience. You see, as we were in the United States, many loved ones, many churches, including Highland Park, by the way, who have so generously invested in our ministry prior to Heart for Lebanon and in us as a couple, uh, started trying to look at every opportunity to find a home for those students, home for us, our kids, the 13 other teenagers were all placed in different schools um, in Indiana. And uh, a lot of people, our loved one, my three siblings who all live in the US, Huda siblings who also live in the US, were trying to convince us to call the, uh, the United States as our home. And, uh, you know, if there is anywhere you want to be stuck in and feel like you are a refugee, the United States is the right place to be at. <laughs> but definitely it is not if you're not putting that into the test to see where God wants you to be. Mm. So we went on a spiritual retreat, my wife and I, and started asking Jesus this why question. Why on earth every time? We see hope on the rise, another mm. war, another challenge, another disaster hit the country of Lebanon. And in that, we started reflecting on this beautiful passage where the disciples brought this young blind man to Jesus. And they asked him that why question, why is he blind? Um, whose sins is he paying the price for? Is it his parents' sins or his? And we know how Jesus uh, responded to that. Uh, and he said to the disciples, Neither. 
but so we can see the power of the, the work of the Lord and his name will be honored and glorified. So I realize that we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the why question in a part of the world where we've had trouble, problems every day from day one from creation. Rather, we would be better off asking then Jesus this how question. How then, Lord, in the midst of all these struggles, challenges, overwhelming despair, will your name be honored and glorified? And let me warn you, Darren, if you ask the why question, you might never hear an answer. If you ask the how question, then the Lord will give you a long list. Get a pen and paper and listen well. <laughs> because that's what he desired, right? Wow. He wants to see his work yeah. glorified, his name honored and glorified. Wow. Man, listen, I... I feel like we've had church right now. This is, I mean, that is, if, if, if people listening, myself included, can just walk away and have that takeaway, it's worth it. Thank you so much for sharing that. So you guys walked into these crises not asking the why question, or you asked the why question, but you, you, you started saying, what if we shifted to the how question? So what did that look like in that time of crisis? So we, uh, in, not long after this experience, I returned to Lebanon myself, thinking that I'll get things started here, cleaned up, and then the family would uh, join me after that. I flew, funny enough how airlines do that, I flew from Indianapolis to LA to catch a flight to Paris and then Lebanon. I landed in, uh, in Los Angeles and I got many messages from Huda and the girls. Come back, take us with you. We are all called to Lebanon, not just you. So I went to Lebanon a few weeks later. I came back to Indiana, brought the whole family. We traveled to Lebanon. On, on that plane, I asked Huda, so tell me, why are we doing that? Well, her first, her first reaction was, because you're crazy. And she's <laughs> right. There is some craziness in me. There's a lot of craziness, I should say, in me. But then she said, because God has a heart for Lebanon. Mm. And that's where the name Heart for Lebanon came wow. from. On that flight back from the States to Lebanon, we realized that, yes, definitely, it's God's heart that motivates mm. us. And we started, you know, with the basic thing, food and hygiene supplies, uh, giving refugees and uh, uh, internally displaced folks blankets, warm clothing, uh, trying to do fun activities for children, every attempt that we could show the love of Jesus Christ in meaningful and tangible ways. People could see and touch and experience the love of Jesus Christ through our actions. So you jumped in to the need. This was in 2006. But crises kept continuing. Can you walk us through from 2006 into where we are now? Like what has taken place in Lebanon since that time? Yeah, sadly, Darren, crises always go on in the country of Lebanon, in the whole region of the Middle East. So uh, from 2006 towards the end of 2008, our ministry was focused on Lebanese who were forced out of their homes and villages, towns and communities, uh, trying to help clean up debris, rebuild schools, rebuild homes, uh, invest in, in individuals' education, children and adults. Uh, as I said, provide basic food and hygiene supplies. But early on in 2009, we started realizing that there is a major influx of Christian Iraqi refugees started coming to the country of Lebanon. Uh, unfortunately, there was this Sunni uprising that uh, took place in Iraq, and many Christian towns and villages were wiped out, and people were being shot at in 
cold-blooded. Many, many families came to Lebanon. Heart for Lebanon was the first NGO, uh, non-governmental organization that came over and started to share the love of Jesus Christ with Iraqi refugees to the point where we end up uh, serving around the 40,000 individuals uh, from Iraq. Uh, the number of refugees kept growing and we continued to work with Iraqi refugees, similar to what we did with the uh, local Lebanese who were uh, the subject of uh, the war in 2006. From 2009 all the way till, till almost two years back, 2020, when we uh, stopped working with the Iraqi refugees. But the surprise to us it was in 2011 when the uprising started in Syria and Lebanon became the largest per capita host of refugees worldwide. More than 2 million Syrian refugees crossed the mountains between Syria and Lebanon. To one point early in the conflict, Lebanon uh, had more than 50% of its population a refugee from Syria, Iraq, or Palestine, because mind you, we continue to host 800,000 Palestinian refugees. So to put it into a US perspective, I tell my uh, American friends, it's like expecting around, let's say your population is 330 million, you wanna expect around 165 million individuals to cross your borders from the North and the South to understand its impact on the infrastructure, on the socioeconomic, on the political divide, because every one of those refugees that have come to Lebanon have brought their political garbage to say. They've been forced out of their homes because they're either Sunni or Shia, Alawites and ISIS when it came to power in Syria, many had fled to Lebanon. So we had to be very careful and walk a very, very tight rope as they say. But I also want to remind you, it was very easy to serve the Iraqi refugees. We felt compassionate towards them because they're like us. Right. Innocent individuals who have not been, uh, have not caused anyone's harm and end up becoming victims. But having to serve the Syrian refugee population, a population that occupied us, a community that caused us harm from 1975 to 2005 was a very very challenging experience, the least to say. Wow. I am just impacted by that idea of loving. There's one level of love where we love people that are like us. And then there's this, uh, and actually in, in Greek, they have different words for love, right? Philos is loving somebody who's like you. Um, and in Greek philosophy, Aristotle, Plato, I mean, they talked about philos, right? But, but in the scripture, we see this love of agape, which is loving your enemy. It's loving someone who's different, and that's how God loves us, but that's also incredibly how we're called to love others. So how did you do that? I mean, how do how did you personally and the people around you make that switch from saying, okay, we're serving people who are Christians and through no fault of their own are in this situation, but now we're it, with the Syrian refugees coming in, we're serving people who are literally our enemies. How, how does somebody make that switch? What happens? Tell us what happened. It's not easy, right? I mean, uh, it's one thing to preach about forgiveness when they are on the other side of the board. <laughs> right. You know, we, we preach a lot about that. You yeah. know, love your enemies. 
forgive those who have caused the harm. Did all these well, as long as it's things. theoretical, we can. As we, long as they're away. Yeah, right? it's out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. But then when you see them face to face every day and you are reminded of your present past, you know, uh, or near past, you're not talking about, uh, you know, decades uh, ago. You're talking about just a year or two or three years ago that uh, your loved ones has been killed. Uh, Darren, uh, Highland Park knows my wife, Huda, and I, we were shot at uh, on our wedding day. We fled for our life two hours after our wedding. Um, our little apartment that we had was destroyed and burned to ashes. My parents' businesses were, all seven stores were destroyed multiple times. Uh, my sister fled the country of Lebanon, was sent to Anderson, Indiana, after snipers shot at us and uh, at her and almost had her killed. So we all continue to carry emotional, physical scars. Uh, it's uh, it's very difficult to sit into a Syrian refugee family and listen to their heartbroken stories. They're similar to us. Mm. Uh, they have experienced hardship as well. But but it's that same community that reminds us of our own. You know, um, so. September 2011, when I called our team at our uh, staff uh, retreat, staff annual retreat, uh, and I said, uh, you know, uh, God is calling us to care for the Syrian refugees. Uh, Huda whispered in my ears and she said, I'm going to see how you're going to pull that one off. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and she's right. Well, she I, said I, we I, had a heart for Lebanon, not she, it wasn't called heart for Syria. Exactly. You, 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 you're spot on right. And there was a resistance from the staff, you know, and they, they said, oh, it seems you've forgotten. Let us remind you. And they went on and on. <laughs> and we needed, it was like a therapy to us. Wow. Sitting, uh, recounting our pain mm. and realizing that only Jesus can change this hurt in us into compassion. And we'll come back to compassion, but, you know, I'll... I'll Everywhere in scripture we see, we see what drives Jesus was his compassionate mm, heart. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Christ's compassionate heart, it wasn't for him who has suffered tremendously. And what was our weakness became today our greatest strength. Because, you know, the refugees, they're, they're as smart as you and I. Uh, they ask this question, what brings you here? Mm -hmm. What are your motives? Uh, are you here to feel vindicated? Are you doing a business wow. on us? Are you here for some financial gain? Mm. So the um, or 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 why do you come? Uh, uh, what motivates you? Are you here for a political reason? Are you paid for by some foreign entity? Do you uh, serve some foreign agenda or some local political agenda? And then we say no. We come in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, not most of them don't even know who Christ is, or they have People an or come, they have an idea of him. Correct. Correct people who come from a Muslim or Kurdish uh, or Alawite background, Sunni or Shia, and in most of these cases, they have not heard about Jesus or have not heard about Christianity. And what they have heard, yeah. if any, Christians are out to get you. Mm. They want you, uh, you defeated. They want to steal your natural resources. In the Syrian refugee crisis in Lebanon, it was only the Christian faith-based organizations that have reached out to the Syrians unconditionally. And they're starting to see that. 
And we tell them, we, we remind them of our own stories. And we say, we, in our power, there is nothing in us that is good. There is no mm. power in us that brings you mm. us into your presence. The only thing that does that is Christ's compassionate mm. heart. This is why we say uh, in our vision statement for Lebanon, driven by the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ. Mm. We said that up front. We say what gets us out of bed, what excites us every, every morning, it's Christ's compassionate heart. So driven by Christ's compassionate heart, Heart for Lebanon exists to see lives changed and communities transformed. Mm, that's beautiful. So here you are, you've made this switch. You were starting out by serving Lebanese, and then it went to Iraqi Christians that were fleeing persecution in their country. And then this huge leap to cross this cultural and religious border and start serving Syrian refugees that were in Lebanon. And then in the midst of that, Lebanon itself starts going through economic collapse. Can you just walk us through like where things are now? Because not only are the, the refugees living in dire poverty, but poverty is just exploding across the country. Help us understand that. Unfortunately, Lebanon, since uh, the October 2019, has experienced its worst economic downfall. Uh, we have seen our currency devaluated uh, 95%. Uh, we have seen prices of essential goods go up 9, 10, and 11 times. Um, so basically, um, a person who used to make $1,000 worth in Lebanese uh, currency today is making around $50 worth. Um, so Lebanese are... Uh, having great difficulty sur surviving this hardship. Uh, they took it to the streets. Many of us have taken it to the streets in October, November, December of 2019. Uh, constant nonstop demonstrations asking for change in our government, but unfortunately nothing has happened uh, other than the people of Lebanon have become, became poorer. Today, according to the World Bank, 80% of the Lebanese population lives at or below poverty line. Uh, and that's not including, that's not talking about the refugees. That's the Lebanese. No, no, we're talking about Lebanese right. wow. nationals. Um, so today you have, you have a refugee population uh, that is in dire need. You have a host community that is in dire need. And then you have the uh, political elite who care less, um, have um, zero sympathy towards what's happening in Lebanon. Our central bank froze everyone's assets. Whatever you had in the bank in October 2019 has been frozen. I'll give you one example. My, my father was admitted to the hospital a couple of months ago. And in his, in his uh, financial planning, he had saved if enough for him and my mother to live decently uh, in their uh, elder years. But unfortunately, he had not a penny that he could withdraw from the bank in order to pay that uh, hospital bill. And Lebanon is not like the U.S. They won't uh, admit you until you put a deposit and they don't discharge you until you pay the entire bill. So, I mean, simple example like that, people with their dignity has been robbed. Uh, their uh, securities have been taken away from them. Uh, it has grown the population of Lebanon very angry. Today, 
uh, all roads have been blocked, uh, burning tires, uh, uh, because people can no longer afford, uh, as I said, the basic essentials. A 50-minute trip took me four hours to do today, uh, trying to go between uh, uh, roadblocks and burning tires uh, just, just to go from point A to point B. Uh, the people of Lebanon are growing angrier and angrier. Um, we have parliament elections coming up in, in May. We're praying that these make a, might make a difference, but also like many third world countries in our situation, uh, elections can be violent or the results after the elections can be very violent. So we are uh, definitely in, in a very hard spot these days. But not to keep it in this negative point, uh, Hard for Lebanon has made the decision uh, starting the summer of 2021 and onward that we will not limit any of what we do among the Syrian refugees, but rather we will multiply our resources and reach out to the Lebanese population as well. So starting January of this year, last month, Hard for Lebanon uh, has begun reaching out to 2,400 Lebanese families every month, mm. in addition to 2,400 Syrian wow. refugees. So we've multiplied our resources and our efforts. The same with the student at, uh, at risk, uh, uh, pro providing non-formal education and scholarship support to Lebanese as well as to Syrian students. Mm. So Camille, thank you for sharing that. And a couple of things impact me, but one is as you're talking about the crises that Lebanon has gone through, COVID didn't even make your list, <laughs> which is not to say that it didn't impact the country, but just for perspective to talk about all the things that have gone on and to and and to realize that in the midst of that COVID took place, in the midst of that, the Port of Beirut explosion that, that happened and caused so much devastation and death. Help us understand your philosophy of ministry. When I was there, you talked about this pyramid of how you engage people. And I was really impacted by that. And so while we can't draw it out, everyone can imagine in their minds a pyramid. And so talk us through how your ministry functions with this pyramid in mind. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's the, the easiest way to really explain our ministry uh, philosophy is through this five tier or five level pyramid. So rather than take five cubes and put them on top of each other, imagine you have five layers that form a pyramid. Uh, the reason why we, uh, we chose a pyramid, not a pillar, let's say, is because the base is wider than the top. So imagine every time we go from one tier to the next, uh, the number of people that are uh, involved and served is, is less. So the first tier is what we call access ministry. Uh, this is our base. This is the largest constituency of people that we serve. And this is our opportunity, as I said earlier, to show the love of Jesus Christ in meaningful and tangible ways. So everything we do in access ministry, whether it's a fun activity with children, whether it's the hope on wheel truck that we take into the camp and do fun activities, sing along, storytelling, education, non-formal education, scholarship for children, whether it's a literacy program for adults, whether it's a sewing project for ladies, you name it, whether it's feeding, education, medical, it's every attempt that we can tell a refugee or a local equally, Jesus loves you and they can see it 
feel it and touch it. On that, uh, that's, uh, we call it access ministry because it gives us access into the lives of those that we serve. The second tier um, is our relational engagement uh, uh, emphasis. This is where we are serious in spending time with the refugee or the local individual in their home, in their tent, trying to listen to their heartbreaking stories and looking at every opportunity to share with them a word of encouragement and when appropriate and convenient, a word from scripture. Now, again, remember that not everyone, this is why the second year has less people, uh, not everyone would let us in. Not everyone is willing to open their heart, but our attempt is in this uh, relational engagement uh, aspect is try to take the refugee or the individual from a number to a person again. You see, when you do uh, relief and humanitarian work, you focus on uh, on transition, transitional work. You want to make sure that uh, you're doing your work the best uh, way possible. You're doing your assessment appropriately. You're doing your uh, procurement well. You're you're kind of like, you know putting all every dot and every T in its place. Whereas in relational engagement, uh, the individual is no longer a number, but a person again. You, it's like as if time stops. You sit here and, and you say, you know what? I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes sipping on tea or coffee and listen to this person and individual. And they will tell you, no one does that. Mm. No one cares here. Mm. You're the only ones who come here. Wow. I say 40 minutes. Some of those relational engagement visits can go two hours, yeah. three hours. And let and me, you know, and let me yeah. add, you know, uh, when we went in October, we had the chance to do that. You allowed us to come in and sit in tents and in homes and hear stories. And I mean, that is so impacting those stories, those families, those faces are burned into my mind and my memory. And I think about them and just even now it's impacting just to, um, to have been let in like that and for people to share their their heart. So it so yeah, thank you. Thank you for, yeah. for making that such a part of your ministry. And 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 to me, uh, a church might come and say, Hey, if we give you let's say a hundred dollars, how many more families can you help? And I my response is always, This is the wrong question. Ask me how many more relationships can I build? Wow. So it's not about the numbers, it's about the people again. The relational engagement, that's the tier of our ministry that helps us make it or break it in ministry. It's either we, uh, uh, we are serious about showing the love of Jesus Christ and explaining it. Because in most of those visits, it becomes, it, it starts, as I said, who sends you and what do you want? And then it ends with, and who is Jesus? Which leads us to tier number three, which is our spiritual formation. Uh, this is for us, our uh, Bible studies, our seekers Bible studies, or even our Christian uh, f uh, followers, who, uh, followers who want to be discipled more, want to go deeper in scripture. Um, these Bible studies, we have them all over the country of Lebanon, in southern Lebanon, in the Bekaa Valley, in, Le in Beirut. Uh, you're talking about uh, men Bible study, women Bible study, Kurdish Bible studies, uh, mixed gender, mixed ethnic groups. It doesn't matter what is appropriate 
and how uh, free we are about sharing about scripture. Every time we uh, entered one of those Bible studies, you would look and you would be marvel to see God at work in the lives of men and women, young and old, people from a Christian background and people from a Muslim background. Um, at a, any given week, we will have at least a thousand individuals in these spiritual formation classes. Leads us to our fourth uh, tier, which is our worship gathering. From those Bible study groups, uh, five years ago, we realized that God is leading us to start our own church communities. Muslim background believers, Kurdish background believers, Christian background believers. But I say it doesn't matter who you were before Christ. What matters is who you are in Christ. And today we have four worship gatherings. We have an Armenian-speaking church in Anja. We have a Kurdish-speaking church in Zahle, an Arabic-speaking church in Zahle, and another Arabic-speaking church in uh, southern Lebanon. And soon we will launch our fifth uh, worship community, Kurdish-speaking church in southern Lebanon. The mosaic that God has created in our myth is so beautiful. It's so diverse. If you had asked me 15 years ago, we will have uh, on Heart for Lebanon staff, people who come from a Sunni background, Syrians or Lebanese, Shia background, Lebanese or Alawites from Syria, Kurds, traditional Christians, Armenians, Lebanese, Syrians, Iraqis, Egyptians, you look at our team, 75 of us is a very complex and very diverse team. One thing and one thing only unites us, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, definitely we have uh, a lot of differences of ethnic background. We bring our garbage with us. We bring our uh, traditions with us. We bring our hurt with us. And uh, we Lebanese speak a lot with our hands and motions and we speak loudly and uh, uh, we have a very lively community on our team, but also a very lively community in our church gatherings. I am amazingly blessed there. God has given us these uh, church plants and they are growing astronomically. Um, just now today, on Wednesday night, we have our Kurdish speaking event. I just finished uh, from there to come and do this recording. And we had more than 300 Kurds in that one room. You're talking about 300 Muslim believers, individuals who wow. two, three years ago did not know who Jesus was. And now they call him Lord and Savior. That leads us to the top, the fifth level. And again, keep remembering this is a pyramid. So definitely the numbers keep shrinking uh, more and more. Um, uh, and, and on the top of that pyramid is our missional leadership thing and uh, training. And I say this, unless we want to see this work replicated and, and, and the numbers growing further, we cannot do it. 75 on our team, that's a huge crowd to, be, to lead. But it's not enough unless we raise up godly men and women who themselves would disciple, who are being discipled through us and are discipling others. We will not continue to grow. And uh, 
We have more than 100 men and women in our uh, mission or leadership training today, uh, both in southern Lebanon and in the Bekaa Valley. It's humbling to see how God is preparing them. And I just can't wait to uh, look at what uh, will transpire from that training. In fact, we have a couple of them who are already back in Syria, leading their own Bible study groups. We have three of them who have traveled. One of them is in Canada right now, who is leading his Bible study groups there. Uh, so you take that pyramid and now you can reverse it if you uh, want. Yeah. Uh, when you reverse it, it starts by raising the leaders and those leaders are leading their church and Bible, uh, Bible study communities. They're building those relationships and they're showing the love of Jesus Christ through access ministries. Whichever way you look at it, God is honored and glorified. Man, thank you so much. I mean, I could just stay here for hours. You used the picture or the term mosaic. And when you use that, it, it, it hit me that, you know, a mosaic is these broken pieces of tile or glass or whatever that get fit back together. That if, if you look at them in just a heap, there's no order, there's no pattern. And yet when the artist starts pulling out the pieces and putting them together, you can see shapes, you can see designs, you can see symmetry that you didn't see before. And I just think back to your time in 2006 and before it probably felt like looking at this pile of pieces, these broken pieces and, and, and year by year, by God's grace, he's helping to fit pieces together. You can see patterns and you can see, so if you would, Camille, I mean, you've walked this journey people are listening and they're wondering, you know, what's, what's, what's my purpose? All I see is a heap of broken pieces. Can you just speak for a moment to those who are listening that are questioning trials and challenges that they're going through. They don't see the design. They don't see what's happening. What word of hope? I know hope is such a powerful, motivating word for Heart for Lebanon, moving people from despair to hope. I'm just wondering if that could happen to people listening here, if, if you could offer a word of hope. Well, what I can say, Darren, is this. Jesus came to a broken community. He didn't come to uh, people who have it all together. He uh, did not come uh, to a country that had a wonderful economy. In fact, when scripture says in, that in the perfect time, Jesus came, I look at it and it wasn't perfect. <laughs> in fact, Jerusalem was occupied. The people were being taxed. The majority of them were poor hungry. There was the segregation and the separation between the have and the have not, between men and women, between the powerful and the weak, between the young and the old. And people were struggling tremendously. But then if you follow the line that Jesus' life went through on earth, you realize he was led by his compassionate heart. He did not come to judge people, but he came to heal the sick. He did not come to condemn people, but he came to raise the dead. He did not come to punish us, but he came to restore us. And so often we forget that. And the beauty about it, that Jesus has taken us the way we came. He, brought, he welcomed the broken disciples. 
and he welcomed the poor children and he welcomed the uh, the widow and the sinners and if you focus again on his on his life you see he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd it says they were harassed right and helpless and it says that they were helpless so he came for those and he came for me he came for me that i'm helpless as well and but but it didn't end there it was just it wasn't just a feeling of compassion and he turned to his disciples and he said feed them he looked at the the uh, widow who was bearing her only son i mean if you lived in the Middle East then, or if you lived in the Middle East today, if you're a widow and your only son now is dead, you're helpless. You just lost every support you could. Your whole family system is broken. He came for her. He could have preached to her. He could have told her, hey, woman, why are you crying? Just uh, have faith. Don't you, know who, don't you know who I am? So he could have condemned her. He could have uh, spoken harsh words to her. But what that scripture says, he had compassion towards her. And he told her, woman, don't cry. Everywhere we see Jesus in the Gospels, we see him driven by his compassionate heart. So if, if I am broken, if you're broken, if some of our listeners today are broken, no, Jesus came for that. He didn't come for you strong. He came for you weak. He didn't come for you altogether, having it all together. He came to help restore you. And you know what's beautiful about it too? That in 2 Corinthians, it says that he came to reconcile us with the Father and he gave you and I and every one of us that gift of reconciliation. What a great gift we ended up getting. We became, we the broken people who have been reconciled with Jesus were given the gift to partner with Jesus in reconciling the world with the Father. As it says, we're wounded healers, right? Henry Nouwen's phrase. We, we're not healers because we have it all together, but we're in the process of being healed, and he calls us to, to move and love and serve on his behalf. Camille, would you mind closing us with a word of prayer um, to pray over us? In America, we have our own challenges. We're divided. There's politics and polarization and and there's anger and there's brokenness all around. You're an inspiration because so often we want to try to fix everything out there and 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 make it all better. But but really, it's participating in God's work in us, and then through us, He, as you just said, calls us to participate in this ministry of reconciliation. That we become instruments of, of peace. And so if you would just end by praying for us, for those that are listening to find hope, to find um, encouragement in this time, but also in their lives to then say, man, what is, what? How, as I look around and I see the broken pieces, can I perhaps be part of this mosaic building process? And um, and then I'd just like to close and pray for you and, and the ministry of Heart for Lebanon and what God's doing. And, and, and truly, this is partnership, right? You, you have so much uh, to teach us, and you invite us into relationship. We're planning a trip later this year um, to, to visit, to bring some people to experience everything that you've just shared with us and to see more than anything, um, this is God's work. This is God's work, and, and he just calls us to be a part of it. So. Amen. All right, let's pray. 
Father God, what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity you uh, grant us to come in front of your throne, to kneel at your feet, and to pray for one another. Father, we know that uh, you're the knower of all. You're the wisdom of perfection. You're the perfect God and still works through us, broken people and desire to for us to live in unity and joy and peace. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the United States, all throughout the country of America, as well as, and in particular, to my brothers and sisters in Casper, Wyoming, at Highland Park Community Church. Father, I pray for this church that it continues to be the light for, to the community around it. Pray for its leadership and its people, that they would be your hand and feet, that they would show your love to everyone in need around them, that when people look at them, they would know and see and understand who Christ is. And yes, Father, despite all the challenges, the fears, the struggles, the political divide that might affect the community in the United States, I pray that you would shield your church from all this divide but rather that you would make it a beacon of hope, that you would use your people in America to be the, uh, the heralds of your peace. Father, you promised that you came to give us life. You did not come for us to live a defeated life, but you promised to give us life and to give us life abundantly. May the church shine, may your people shine, may your community shine, may your children shine. This shine, the joy and this peace, inner peace, a peace that no one can take away from them. And may the unity of the body of Christ flourish and grow in a way that would draw more and more people towards you. Father, we know that uh, in the midst of uh, the worries and in the midst of uh, the challenges that we fear, uh, uh, are attacking us, sometimes we grow inward. And But here I pray, Father, that uh, your church, your community of faith in Casper, that it would grow outward, that it would flourish from inside out, that uh, what the, you give them, this, this special peace and special love and special tranquility inside them, would make others wonder. What's so different in this community? And that difference is only you and you alone. Father, we pray that uh, you would, uh, in the midst of this pandemic, that you would erase every um, illness and every uh, weakness in the bodies of your people, that they would also walk tall and know that you have conquered illness, Poverty, fear, political divide, and you have come to give us victory in you. Pray all that in your son's name. Amen. And God, thank you for Camille, for Hoda, for the men and women in Lebanon who are serving and loving courageously across boundaries and borders in Jesus' name. Thank you for the way the gospel of the kingdom is growing in, in hearts in in families and muslim background 
believers who are coming to know you and are being baptized and are finding hope in life in Christ. Thank you, God, for the perseverance that they've had over the years, weathering crisis after crisis and challenge after challenge and not giving up because of the outside circumstances, but saying, we're not going to ask why, but but how, God, how can you use us in this? What do you are you calling us to? And may you inspire each of us, God, in our own journey to follow you courageously. Thank you for the ministry of Heart for Lebanon. Bless them. We pray provision for them, and we ask God for those listening to engage in your mission and for those you call to partner with this beautiful ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Brother Camille, thank you um, for those listening. Heartforlebanon.org is a great, you guys have an amazing website and you have the best, I will say this, unca- I'll say this categorically, the best uh, videos and updates of any ministry I've ever seen. Like you, you, you take us into the camps and meet people from our computer screens, from YouTube. So YouTube, Heart for Lebanon channel, go to heartforlebanon.org, find ways to connect. We're taking a trip later this year, uh, so you can go to our missions page, hpcc.church slash missions, and find out how you can be a part of that and um, be a part of this great kingdom work. So thank you so much for your time, and please send our greetings to the brothers and sisters in Lebanon, and Lord willing, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Our goal is to get you moving on mission. Go to hpcc.church missions to sign up for weekly service updates in Casper and beyond. Or follow us on our missions Facebook page at HPCC Missions. See you next time.